Let's pray. Oh my goodness. Father, we thank you so much for your word. Lord, that you have spoken to us in these last days by your son. It's amazing, God. And that you've given us, Lord, truth. Pray that today, Lord, those that know you, they would be assured of it. God, they would walk in the hope of salvation and they would, uh, Lord, pursue you like never before. God, give us boldness to reach out to this lost and dying world. And Father, if any do not know you, whether they've been convinced otherwise, Lord, they think they do, but they don't expose it to them, please, may they not walk in blindness. And God, if no one knows you simply because they haven't had the chance, would today be the day that they confess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, Father? Speak to us. In Jesus' name we pray. And we all said, amen. All right. Most famous verse uh, in the entire Bible, John 3.16. How many of you guys know John 3.16? See, yep, most of you guys. Um, or you've at least heard of it, right? How many of you guys, you know it. You've got John 3.16 memorized. All right, let's hear it. How does it start? He gave his only son. We got to work on the unison thing, but you guys got it. That was awesome. For God so loved the world, so, so, so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. We know this verse. It's definitely the most famous, popular verse in all the Bible. But here's a question. Who did Jesus say it to? Who do you think? You know it was a guy. Oh, good, good. Nicodemus, how'd you know that? You cheat and look at verse 1. You just knew? Dude, smart, right on. It was Nicodemus, all right, big old Nico, okay? He was there, a uh, very, very, very important man in his time, very influential, very powerful, and he comes to Jesus all on his own. But this whole chapter, which contains probably one of the neatest verses in the New Testament when it comes to salvation, was not a, a crowd kind of an organized convention. It wasn't preaching by the Sea of Galilee. It wasn't in the temple and the synagogues. It was with one man, this heart-to-heart, face-to-face conversation about eternity. It is amazing. And so we're going to look today at when Jesus and Nicodemus met up and talked about being born again. Some of you guys know exactly what that means. In Nicodemus' side, though, and I want to sympathize with him a little bit, he gets very confused by this saying. Some of you guys are like, born again? I've been born once. Can you be born twice physically? Can you be born twice? It's impossible, right? Are we going to like put you in a little like shrink ray and put you back in your mom's mouth and she'll swallow you and then you're going to give birth again? Or like, it doesn't work. There's no way to make that happen. And so Jesus says, hey, you want to go to heaven? You've got to be born again. And Nicodemus gets kind of confused. He's like, "Um, I was with you until the born again thing. You lost me. I don't understand, which is fine. Isn't it amazing that we can come to God and say, Lord, I don't really understand and he's not like, all right, dummy, listen up. And he's not like, get out. You, won't, you don't understand these things. You're not educated enough to be around me. It doesn't work that way. That Jesus would sit down with one man and have a face-to-face conversation about eternity is amazing. And so much is revealed about the truth of eternity, how to get to heaven, and the heart of God. It is awesome. This is probably, I think every Sunday, it's my new favorite chapter. So for today, this is definitely my new favorite chapter. But the difference There is a difference when we see it, that when we're talking about being born again, there is a difference between the tangible, temporary life we live now and the eternal life that we will live later on. You guys know that your body is made up of uh, a physical body, then there's your spirit and your soul, or body, soul, and spirit, right? Everyone pinch yourself. Ah, not too hard. Don't bleed or nothing crazy. But you're made up of physical matter. That is your body. You guys agree? Like, don't poke your eyeball, but if you did, it would hurt. You would know it's there. We are all have a physical body. Then we all have a soul. Your soul will live on forever. Your soul is your mind, okay? They call it psychology. That's a soul. It's uh, why do you think the way you think? That's your soul, your mind. Why is that your favorite food or flavor or color or taste? Or why are they your friend? That's your soul. You're either really funny or maybe you're really serious. That's your soul, okay? It's you. It's who you are. It's how you think and you make decisions. That's you. But then there's your spirit. You can't touch it. You can't see it. uh, But it's very much so mixed in with all of it. And it is eternal. Always, always, always living. Here's a trick question for you. 
Who has a spirit? A believer or a non-believer? Both, okay? A lot of times we think that maybe non-believers, oh, no, they're just going to die and cease to exist. That's not true. Everyone steps into eternity, and they will be there for eternity. It's into everlasting life, or there's hell, which is, it's talked to, referred to in the Bible as everlasting death or the second death. They understood it. We sometimes have this idea in our head, though, that if you're not saved, when you go to heaven, you just kind of die. It's, it's like a body in the grave at the cemetery down the street, right? It's just kind of there, and they're done. They didn't get to go to heaven. It's way worse than that, way worse. Your spirit's eternal. Whether you're saved or you're not, there's part of you that will live on for all of eternity. One side, accepting Jesus, will step into eternity with God. He will wipe away their tears. He will take away all their sorrow. There will be no more crying, no more weeping, no more pain, no more death, none of it. The other side, it's not just everlasting, oh, he was in the grave, he didn't make it. It's the everlasting process of dying with ever actually accomplishing its feat. It's like being trapped in a burning building that's never going to be done burning, and your nerves will never be seared past feeling, and so you're constantly going through this process of dying for all of eternity. Everyone goes into eternity. The question is, which side will you end up on? It is a permanent decision. Thank God it is a permanent decision. What a bummer. You get into heaven and you trip over a gold brick and all of a sudden end up in hell. It's like, what the heck happened? What was that? God's promises are sure, but he promises if you accept me, I promise you heaven. But I also promise you this. If you reject me, it's everlasting torment in hell. They're both promises. Why? Because of sin. There is a difference, though, between physical and spiritual. Don't think that what you see is all that matters. The world will tell you, watch TV, especially from this point till Christmas. You're going to see more and more stuff you just got to have, right? Well, I want to have this toy and that piece of technology, and we want to move into this house. My dad wants this kind of car, and I want to have, I want, I want, I want, I want, I want. Man, there's so much more, so much more. What's awesome for the believer, every time I drive home, and I, I hope this lasts for my whole life. I hope I don't get used to it. Every time I drive home and park, I park in front of our house. I don't go in the driveway. I don't know why. Man, I'm not home. We're just on a really long vacation. My home, Bible says my citizenship's in heaven. That's where my home is. That Jesus said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. In my Father's house are many mansions. And I'm going to come back and pick you up. And I'm taking you home. This is temporary. Thank God this is temporary. There's so much more than just what's physically in front of us. There's the spiritual aspect. Look at uh, John chapter 3. Nicodemus, he creeps over in the secret, finds Jesus, and it's super cool. Check this out, starting in verse 2. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. How do you know that? How do you know that? Hmm, good question, right? How do you know that? He keeps going. He explains himself. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. He knew Jesus is way different than everybody else. And what was amazing, everything Jesus had been doing, the miracles and the signs and the wonders, people getting healed, awesome stuff. I don't know if you guys, when you talk about miracles or you think about it, and the older you get, you'll find out people get stuck on miracles. They're amazing. They're awesome. I would love to see a blind guy see. I would love to hear about a, a deaf guy hearing. I'd love to see the dead raised again. But that is all to point to something greater. We've got to get... Yes, the signs are amazing, but they were there to show that Jesus Christ was who he said he was. That when we see miracles, they're to point to the next step, one more thing, keep going. And so Nicodemus sees all of these signs and these wonders. He's like, okay, this is nuts. You are not a normal person. I know you're from God. And they begin to have this conversation. Look at verse three. Jesus begins to talk to Nicodemus now. Jesus answered him and said to him, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is, and here it comes, born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, just like any of us do, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? It's absurd, right? Verse five, Jesus answered, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. Jesus makes a very clear distinction. That which is born of flesh, 
is flesh, and there's something totally different. That which is of spirit is spiritual. If you look super, super, super close, if you look close, the issues are awesome. Nicodemus does not question. He does not um, take into consideration the fact that there's a kingdom. He agreed with that. Yep, eternity is real. He didn't say, Jesus, is there really a kingdom? He agreed with that. He didn't even wonder if people can go there. He's like, I agree with that. But this born again thing, how we get there? I don't understand that. That makes no sense to me. There's a kingdom. Got it. Check. And people can go there. Check. But we get there by being born again. What in the world does that matter? Genuine confusion. Because have you guys ever been confused by the Bible or confused by something? Every day. Right on. That means you're reading your Bible. Guess what? Go to God. Ask him. He has patience. He has love. He has gentleness and kindness and long-suffering. He'll lead you. Nicodemus comes, and he's like, okay, hold on, pause. Let's, let's pause right here. I have a question. Um, kingdom, got it, check. I can get in, good, I'm fine with that, check. Born again, help me out. I, this makes no sense to me. How can a man being old go into his mother's womb and be born again? Well, the answer is you can't unless, as Jesus clarified, there's a difference. He's trying to help him out. Look at Take what you think in your mind as physical, and it's an example of what is spiritual. So many things that God has given us in life are an example of things to come. Verse 5, Jesus answered, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. He's looking, he's seeking. Jeremiah 29, 13 promises that when we seek with our whole heart, and you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. It doesn't matter who you are, where you're from, what language you speak. If you are in pursuit of God, you will find Jesus. That's awesome. That means that if a Jehovah Witness person truly wants to find God, guess who he'll find? Jesus. If a Mormon truly is in pursuit of God, even if they're living in a twisted form of religion, guess what they will find? Jesus. What if you're stuck in the jungles of uh, Africa? Doesn't have jungles, probably, but whatever. Brazil. Guess who they will find? Jesus. Guess what? If someone in the United States of America living and going to church in Chino Hills and they want to find the Lord, guess who they're going to find? Yeah, right on. Jesus. That if we look for him with our whole heart, we will find him. It's cool. He says, Look, unless you're born of water and the Spirit, you cannot enter eternity born of water what does that mean it means just natural normal you're, you're born you, unless you have physical life right obviously someone who never lived never goes anywhere because they never existed but you got to be born of water right you guys know you lived like in like a hot tub for nine months just floating around your mom's stomach like yo what's up that's that's just how it was and so jesus is saying hey remember that hot tub thing like none of us do um but you know you're in there and it's just nice and warm and you're floating around and you're doing like Space somersaults or whatever it is, punching your mom's rib. What is that? Ugh. Like, <laughs> this is how it, oh my gosh, have you ever, if you guys are the older brother and sister or know someone that's pregnant, dude, when they get like almost full grown, you can push and they push back. Have you ever done that? It's like crazy. It's, cr- it's crazy. It's awesome. How did, how, it's amazing. Only God can put a person inside of a person. Like, that's nuts. Anyways. All that to be said, Jesus says, look, you got to be born in life, but you also need to be born into eternity, spiritually. One is not more important than the other, but as much as is necessary, you must be born spiritually. Now, for those of you guys that are saved, you you know, I'm a Christian, I believe in Jesus, I am saved, okay? Someone's going to try and argue with you someday that you can lose your salvation, right? You had it, but you can't find it. Where did, where'd it go? I was saved, and now, oh no, I lost my salvation. Has anybody seen my salvation? Help me out. Do you have it? You found it? Is in your, oh, it's on Los Angeles. Okay. okay. It doesn't work that way. When God makes a promise, it's a promise. He, if a promise isn't a promise, it's a lie. God's not a liar, all right? It takes so, it's so simple. Think of this. How many times can you possibly be born physically? How many times? Once. 
Jesus is using this very simple illustration that even a child could understand, and he's sitting there with Nicodemus. Nicodemus, you can only be born once, right? Even you understand that. That's why you're having a hard time with this. So if you're already born again, think about it. If you can only be born once physically, how many times can you be born spiritually? Once. Not a lot. You're not, not going to get born again and born again and born. That sounds insane. It's absurd. I got born again 15 times. Like, you have 15 birthdays? That's crazy. Yet people will come in and tell you, now it is possible to live a form of godliness but completely deny the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what Titus was, or Timothy was warned about in the New Testament, that there will be a generation and a group of people that live for themselves. They have a form of godliness but deny it. They'll get, step into eternity and say, but God, we did all these wonderful things. And you'll say, I never knew you away. Don't think for a moment, oh, I go to church so I'm good. That's not what I'm talking about. If you really are born again, how do you know? We'll talk about it in a second. But if you're born again, that moment you make that real decision, you step into the promises of God. You stop looking at them and being like, wow, that's really nice. But you step into it and say, Lord, I'm receiving this, and I'm walking in this, and I'm trusting in this with my whole heart. I'm letting go of everything else, and I'm moving forward in this promise. Dude, you're saved, and don't let anyone ever tell you you need to be born again, and then again, and then again. It's out of your mind crazy it's like saying someone needs to literally physically be born again that's nuts that's not what jesus is talking about he clearly tells them there's a physical birth and there's a spiritual birth john chapter 10 verse 27 through 30 it promises and tells us that no one can take you from the hands of god no one could ever peel you away from god's promises and his love ephesians chapter 1 verse 13 and 14 says in him this is talking about jesus christ you also trusted this has a massive part to do with salvation. That trust, you didn't just look at it, but you leaned on it. You stepped into it. You trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Uh, clearly put, you heard the gospel. You need Jesus. He's the way, the truth, and the life. You heard John 3.16. You said, you know what? I'll do it. I'll let go of the world, and I'll step into his promises. It says, right then, you trusted in him once you heard the word of truth, in whom also having believed, now here we go, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. What is a guarantee? A guarantee. It is an absolute assurance that something's going to happen, right? There's not much I can guarantee you. I'm not God. I don't know what's going on. Uh, unless the building falls down or the rapture happens, I can guarantee you'll be in here one second from now. I guarantee it. Oh, look at that. It happened. Like, that's about all I can guarantee you. But God's guarantees, when he says, look it, the Holy Spirit has come into your life, and he is a seal set upon you until the day of redemption. That's a re reference to either your death or the rapture, specifically the rapture. When Jesus comes back, you guys ever go to the store and buy like peanut M&Ms or sunflower seeds or chips or whatever you like, okay? You ever grab a bag and it's got a tear in it or it's a little bit opened up? You don't buy that one. That's, you don't know what's been messed with. That seal is there to keep it from expiring. I remember one time, I'm not much of a germaphobe. If you put a hair in my burrito, just pull the hair out and chew it up, it's fine. It's hair. How dirty can hair really be, all right? Unless you got a swirly or something. But um, look, here's the deal. I, I bought a piece of chocolate one time, and the seal was broken. I was like, whatever. It's, it, you know, it looks all white and old and expired. But I like white chocolate. Like, it can't be that bad. I took a bite. It's nasty. Don't ever buy something and eat it that's been opened. What's the point? The seal's there for a purpose. Why do they seal bags of chips? Why do they seal bags of anything? It's to keep what is inside the way it is supposed to be until someone comes in and buys it. That's the whole reason for the seal. That's it. So that it stays good until you buy it. Jesus says, I have sealed you with the Holy Spirit. He is in your life. He is upon your life. And he will never leave your life until the one who bought you comes and picks it up. That is Jesus. It is a guarantee. You cannot be born again and again and again. Once you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, it says he seals you with the Holy Spirit until the day of redemption. He guarantees, promises it. If it's your Bible, look in verse 5 and 6, okay? If it's not, still look, but if you have a pen or pencil, do me a favor. In verse 5 and 6, the word Spirit comes up with a capital S. It's talking about the Holy Spirit. Salvation is a work of the Spirit, not a work of our flesh. 
Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, that's not your Spirit, that's God's Spirit, that's God at work, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the, capital Spirit, is Spirit. Salvation is a work of the Holy Spirit, 100% guaranteed by God, hands down. And when the Holy Spirit moves in, you know it. You know it. It's awesome. Romans 8, 15. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage, again, to fear, but you received the spirit, the Holy Spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. It's amazing that before you're saved, there's God, he's a judge, he's king, he's creator, but you do not know him as father. You may call him father because that's what you're taught to do or told to do, but you don't know him in your heart as the one who loves you and guards you and leads you and protects you and provides for you as father. But it says when the Holy Spirit comes in, you have now been given to adoption, and that's the only way that you can genuinely in your heart be like, man, I love the Lord. He is my father. He takes care of me. He's everything. It goes on. It says, the Spirit himself, the Holy Spirit, bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. It's awesome. That when you are born again, as you, I was born to the Axe family, right? My last name is Axe. Yes, like you chop logs with, boom, an Axe. You're the Garcia family or the Mirakami family or the whatever family you are, okay? Right? When you are born spiritually, you are born into Christ's family. You are his. You belong to God. He gives you the right to be called children of God or sons and daughters of the king. It's amazing. And you are sealed until he comes to pick you up and take you home because this place is not home. The spirit bears witness. You'll know it. I'm telling you, I don't know if the sun's coming up tomorrow. I honestly can tell you, I don't know. God could black it out. Well, I kind of do know. But in, in a thousand years, I don't know, okay? I don't know if I'm going to be alive tomorrow. I don't know if I'm going to make it home. I don't know. What if I choke on a marshmallow or slip on a banana or you push me over the rail or whatever, right? What if a train hits me that I didn't hear coming? Like, I, I don't know. I, I don't know. Neither do you. None of you know what tomorrow's going to bring. None of you know what's going to happen in the next 15 minutes. No one knows if I'm going to walk down the stairs safe. Oh, I know. I'm going to be careful. You don't know. Think people that die of accidents were just simply not being careful? It happens. But when we we're born, we we're born into the family of Christ. As you are born into your physical family, we are born in the family of God. It's awesome, which makes you my brother or my sister, so we've got to get along, all right? Unless you're not adopted and then you're an orphan, you need Jesus. You need Jesus. But the Spirit says that he bears witness with our spirit that we're children of God. When you belong to the Lord, you know it. The Holy Spirit will make sure of it. He'll remind you over and over and over again if necessary. You are mine. But I messed up. I know, I know, you knucklehead. But you're still mine. You're still mine. My, one of my kids deceived me today. Dad, can I have 75 cents to buy a granola bar? Sure. What happens? He walks by with a Snickers. Like, what is that? You can have candy in the morning? Like, what are you doing? He's like, ha, ha, ha. I had to pull him over and be like, okay. I'm super disappointed. You lied to me. He's like, oh, don't do that again, okay? All right. All right, I love you. Come here. Don't do that again. All right. And he ran off running, eating his Snickers. <laughs> so what, what's the point? Sometimes we think, oh, if we mess up, God must hate me. He might be mad at you. He's angry with wickedness every day, the wicked every day. He hates sin. He can't stand it because it breaks fellowship with him. If you're his child, but you're walking around, it's like, oh, man, I messed up. That doesn't mean, did I tell my kid, go to the local orphanage, I don't want you anymore. <laughs> That's not, no way. Why? I love him. You can't get me to stop loving him. You can't. And in the same way, you cannot stop God from loving you if you are his child. It's impossible. You might need to repent. You might need to ask for forgiveness. You might need to say sorry. You might need to change some things in life. But he loves you. And by the way, if you're not his, he loves you too. Before it's too late, step into his promises. He loves you too. That's what this whole chapter is all about. But if we are born again, we know it. The Holy Spirit will make sure of it. There's the difference, and he reveals some neat things. The great reveal, right? John chapter 3, look at verse 9. 
Nicodemus has answered and said to him, how can these things be? He, he heard, okay, there's flesh and then there's spirit and you have to be born again. He said, how could this be? How is this even possible? How is this even possible? Jesus goes on and reveals who he is. Jesus goes on and reveals that he's both man and God. You know, it's neat. Jesus almost always refers to himself as the son of man. Okay, if you read the Gospels, this is your learning moment. He almost always refers to himself as the son of man, meaning he's 100% man. You prick him, he'll bleed. Uh, his hair is real. It's not made out of styrofoam or something. Uh, he's, he's tangible. You can touch him and feel him, and he's, he's there. All right, He has a heart. You could hear it beating. He has lungs that inhale and exhale, and he has intestines that uh, digested food and all of that. Good. He's real. But in this chapter, we see one of the few times that Jesus refers to himself as the son of God also. Meaning he has come in the same likeness of God. That he is God himself, omnipresent, all-powerful, all-knowing, that he is as loving. He, he is God. And in humanity, we have Jesus Christ. We have God. How is that possible? Some of you guys are going to dress up like something, right, for Halloween? I don't do that anymore. Yeah, secretly, you do. I know some of you guys do. Um, dude, I'd love to be Hulk this year. Like just, I just like Hulk, but whatever. If I dress up as the Hulk, am I the Hulk, or do I just look like the Hulk? I look like the Hulk, right? On the outside, I don't care how good of a costume I put on, it's still Dave on the inside, okay? It's me. If I were to talk, it's me. That's why when you see Jesus talk, it's with the love and the compassion, the concern that God has for his people, because he's God. Yes, he came and he put on humanity. He humbled himself. But he was still 100% God. In this chapter, he begins to reveal to Nicodemus, he says, look, the Son of Man must be lifted up. It's going to happen through the cross. He gives him an Old Testament example of what Moses did in the wilderness. And he says, I'm going to do the same thing. And if you would look at me, Look at verse 13. No one has ascended, no one has ascended, gone up, but he who came down, that is the Son of Man, he's talking about himself, who is in heaven. Verse 15, he talks about all this stuff. He's going to be lifted up high like Moses did in the wilderness, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Says Nicodemus, how is this possible? I am the answer. And how's it all going to work out? I will be lifted high like you see in the Old Testament. I will be put upon the cross. I am the way, and I am telling you the truth. It's incredible. We're looking too high. It's the simplicity of the gospel. We look too high sometimes. We want to know great, massive, intellectual things. Nicodemus was a very wise person, but he missed the simplicity of all of it. 1 Corinthians 2.1. And I, brethren, when I came to you, it's the heart of a child. I did not come to you with excellence of speech or of wisdom declaring to you the testimony of God. He said, I didn't come super smart, and I didn't read the dictionary to get ready to talk to you in all these professional doctorate types of ways. I came declaring the testimony of God. It's simple. Nicodemus, bring it down a notch. Luke 18, 17, Assuredly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means enter it. It's not that high and that lofty. He says, come on, grab on, let's go. The dividing line. That's where we get to. There's a dividing line in all the world, and it is Jesus Christ. It's what separates one from the other. That dividing line, John chapter 3, starting at verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that, through, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him, Jesus, is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Here's one of, I think, three places he refers to himself as the Son of God. Let me repeat it. Why? What's the whole thing? He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God, and this is the condemnation. What am I condemned for? This is it. That the light has come into the world, and men loved 
darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. There's such a dividing line. People have to decide, me or Jesus. You cannot live for both. You cannot trust in both. You cannot have both. It's your way or God's way, but that is it. He says he so loved the world. Isn't it amazing? It wasn't that God one day, oh, I wished upon a star, or I had these hopes and dreams, these great plans. He so loved God, he put it into action, and his only begotten son, he came and he did something about it. It wasn't this big talk. He didn't write books about it. I mean, eventually, obviously, he wrote books about it, but he came and did something about it. His love was active, and who did he love? He says the whole world, that all can come. Thank God. You guys ever been the last one picked for a team? That's the worst feeling, whether it's kickball or baseball or football in the cul-de-sac or out at the park, and you're like, you, you, and you're like, come on, please. I don't even want to win. I just don't want to be the last one. Hey, look, I'm the last one. It's like the most humiliating feeling. What if God was like, I only like cool people, or I only like buff, strong athletes, or I only like smart people, or I only look really good people, or I only like, and, and you just weren't that kind of person. And so God comes down, and one person goes, another person goes, and, and you're like, well, I guess it's to the eternal lake of fire with me, because I'm not cool enough. Oh my gosh, what a horrible way to live. God didn't do that. He says that while we were still sinners, stuck in it all, dead, he died for us. But why? The driving force obviously is love. For God so loved the world. That is what drove him. The mission, why did Jesus ever come? To testify of truth. That's true. That's, but that's part of it. To be an example. Okay, that's true. But that wasn't the mission, the goal. What was to be accomplished? Salvation. The driving force was love. The mission was salvation. But why? Because of sin. Sin's a nasty little guy, man. You guys ever have to run away from like a little chihuahua or something? Dude, I, I don't know, man. Those guys are just sketchy, crazy, got those little rabbit teeth, and like, just, I don't like them. Sin's, sin is not good. Jesus came to destroy sin and death, to set us free from it all. James chapter 1, it tells us, but each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and is enticed. You know, we don't need Satan in our lives to screw up, right? We don't. We, we mess up plenty on our own, and that our temptations come from within. Now, he is a very, very smart dummy, okay? I hate him. He's a dummy. He's a loser. He's going to hell, but whatever. But he's not stupid. He's very smart. He knows what bait to put on the hook. If you're going to go fishing, you ask the local ranger, like, hey, what's biting right now? And they'll tell you, oh, yellow power bait, or use night crawlers, or this kind of a lure, or whatever. Because different seasons and different lakes and different fish bite onto different stuff. And Satan's constantly roaming about seeking whom he may devour. And he knows what to put on the hook and how to lure us away or how to overburden us so we can't run our race or to distract us. Each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, right? It's small, though, when it starts. Sins always start small. By the time you see sin in someone's life, it's been there for a while. When desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Why did Jesus come? To take care of death, to destroy sin. Romans 6.23, it says, the wages of sin is death. That when we sin, you must pay the penalty. And that penalty, that fine, that payment is death. I love it. Love it. John 3, 17 is just as good as 16. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. You know what condemned means? All right. Throw it up there. Boom. Three, two, boom. Uh, to separate, to pick out, or to pronounce judgment, right? To single you out. Imagine if we're standing in here and it's like, oh, you know what? Joseph, stand up. And it's like, you were mean to your mom and you talked back to your dad and you lied and you stole. And now I don't think he did any of that recently. Just guessing. Okay, sit down. But it's to single someone out and just to condemn and to point the finger over and over and over again and to pronounce judgment and guilt as if I just stood. What if the whole service was guilty? Guilty, 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 right? I mean, good grief, that's not God's heart. 
I'll tell you what, start sharing the gospel with people. One thing that doesn't take long to do is to show people they're sinners. Most of them already know it. They know it. Guys, you ever get caught by your mom and dad for doing something wrong? Yeah? And then they go on like a 20-minute lecture about, you should have been smarter than this, and I trusted you, and you should have known better, and all this, and it's just going and going and going. Did it take 20 minutes to make, oh, I messed up. You're not at the end of the conversation like, oh, oh, I'm in trouble. Oh, okay. (laughs) No. As soon as your mom stepped in, you're like, oh, busted, dang it, oh. He said, I came to save the world, not to condemn it. It doesn't take long. Jesus is not in the business of pointing out our problems. He will if he has to, just enough to show you your need for him. Because that's not God's heart. If you walk around in this like, oh man, I'm a loser, I mess up all the time, or you talk to a friend, or maybe you feel this, like, I'll, I'll come to the Lord, I'll be a Christian, I'll give my life to God once I stop cussing, or I'll give, I'll give my life to God once I stop lying, or I'll give, I'll give my life to God once I clean up my life, I'll get better, whatever. We all have excuses, and I've heard this, I hear this all year long. I'll come to God when I get my life straightened out. God says, you're never going to get your life straightened out. That's why I'm here. You don't have to get yourself good enough for me. I came for you. I will do the work in your life. I will make you a new creation. It is incredible. He's calling you out of condemnation. It's sin that condemns and points the finger. It is Satan who will keep you there, never the Savior. Never, never, never. If you're living in that, know right now, it is Satan himself, not God. It's not God keeping you back. It is Satan holding you back. Verse 18. You guys believe in zombies? There's always a few. No? I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't know. John three eighteen. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Look, we know we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Ephesians tells us clearly that we are dead in our trespasses and sins. You are a dead man walking. In the very same way, like if you found out you had some crazy form of cancer and you were going to die in three weeks, you're alive but you're as good as dead. Or you're walking around and you know that something's going to happen. You know that your time is up or you're living on death row and you know in seven days I'm going to go before a firing squad or the electric chair. You're, You're as good as dead. God says that if you're living in your sin and you have not accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, it's only a matter of time you're as good as dead. You're alive. I'm alive. No, you're not. Judgment has already been pronounced. Jesus doesn't have to do it because it's already been done. Your sin is like saying, guilty right here. Come and get it. Woo! It's like wearing a neon jacket in front of the enemy and just bouncing around. Shoot me. Shoot me. Your sin condemns you. Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And if today you're like, I don't need Jesus because I'm good. I don't cuss and I get straight A's and I'm nice to my mom and dad. There are great people going to hell, okay? Well, they haven't sinned. You're you're wrong. Look at Leviticus 5.17. This is crazy. If a person sins and commits any of these things which are forbidden to be done by the commandments of the Lord, though he does not know it, yet he is guilty and shall bear his iniquity. That's not fair. You mean I can break God's rules and not know it? I'm still guilty? Yeah. It's real in real life. It's real in spiritual life. Think about it. Mom and dad are flying down the freeway. They get in the carpool lane by themselves, but they didn't realize it. They didn't notice there was a carpool lane. Cop pulls them over. He's like, hey, you're in the carpool lane by yourself. And they're like, oh, I didn't see the sign. I'm so sorry. Was the cop like, oh, okay, have a nice day? No. Or if you're driving, you know, 80 miles an hour down the street and you honestly, you didn't look at the speed limit or you didn't look at your speedometer. It was an honest mistake. And the cop pulls you over for going 100 miles an hour in front of a school zone. And you're like, oh, I'm so sorry. I didn't notice. He's like, oh, okay. If you didn't know, then just Merry Christmas. (laughs) Dude, no. It's like, get out of your your car, right? (laughs) Guys, the law's the law. That's the way it is. It's the same thing. God says, these are my rules. Do not break them. It was an accident. You broke it. But I didn't know. You broke it. And the wages of sin is death. Pay up. 
your life or the life of Jesus, but death will be required because of your sin. There's no way around it. Not even, oops, I didn't mean to. You might feel bad for you. I'm sorry you didn't mean to. That's, that's a bummer because hell is hot and you're going to be there for quite a while. Mark 3, 28 and 29, the only unforgivable sin in the whole Bible. Is it murder? Nope. God will even forgive murder. Is it stealing stuff? Nope. God will forgive stealing. Is it lying? God will forgive lying. Mark 3, 28, assuredly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the sons of men. And whatever blasphemies they may utter, but he who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is subject to eternal condemnation. Eternal, never-ending, hell. What are blasphemies? What does that mean? What is it talking about? If we blaspheme against the Holy Spirit, I'd like to know what the only unforgivable sin is. The definition is very small, very short, very simple. To blaspheme is to speak evil against what is divine. Ah, the gospel doesn't matter. The cross doesn't matter. You don't need Jesus. It's no big deal. I can do it on my own or I'll get to it later. God says, you blaspheme against the Holy Spirit. I cannot forgive that. I can't do it. What's the Holy Spirit's job? See, we live under condemnation. Sin and Satan, you, guilty. (laughs) Remember remember when you sinned last week? Remember when you did this? That thing you can't get out of your life? Remember, remember? We're like, oh, I stink. God doesn't condemn us, but the Holy Spirit will convict us. It's his job. Before you're saved, it's his only job. John 16, 8. And when he, the Holy Spirit, has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. That's how God works. You need Jesus. Today, if you're like, man, I need Jesus. I don't know if I'm going to heaven or hell. I don't got, I don't got that assurance. I don't know. I know I've been born in the flesh. I don't know if I've been born by the Spirit. I've never done that. You know, it's amazing. God says he's blown the doors off. You guys know about Pastor Saeed, right, in the Middle East? He's all locked down in prison because he's a Christian or pastor. He's been there for two years. Imagine SEAL team goes in, right, under some crazy gnarly operations, 2 o'clock in the morning, all of a sudden just like, (laughs) all this stuff goes on, and the doors are blown wide open. They're like, follow us, we're getting you out of here. And he's like, eh, I'm going to hang out here for a while. Like, what? You've been held hostage by terrorists. Come on. We came all the way out here. We took care of everything. The door's wide open. Let's go. And he's like, walks out. I don't know. This concrete floor is pretty comfy. Out of your mind, right? Absolutely absurd. Jesus came in, blew the doors off of sin and death, and says, come on, let's go. And we're like, ah. I don't know. You're out of your mind. Good old Western movie, right? The lady's tied to the train tracks. Train's coming. Someone runs over and unties her. Let's go. And she's like, I don't know. This is kind of comfortable. <laughs> what? But there's a train coming. I'll deal with that when it gets here. No, the train will deal with you when it gets here. A lot of people all get right with God later on in life. That train might be a lot closer than you think. Hell may not be that far away for some people. It says he's blown the doors off it. He so loved the whole world, anybody and everybody. He didn't come to condemn but to save. And it says he who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Why do people end up in hell? Verse 19, and we're done. Take a look at this. Crazy stuff. Gosh, crazy stuff. And this is the condemnation that the light has come into the world, and men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. It's not that they don't know about Jesus. It's that they know and don't care. They love their sin. We love our sin. Sin's fun. I'll be honest with you. Sin's blast for a little while. The Bible even says so. There's pleasure in sin for a season. But what about the end? Didn't James tell us eventually it brings forth death? It's only fun for a little while, and then what? And it's over. It says that people, they love their sin. 
But John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world, so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. The issue is faith. And we're not talking about, there's two things that I clarify. There's a generic kind of public display of, of faith that a lot of people have these days. And then there's personal, real saving faith. A generic faith would be like, oh, I believe Jesus is real. Sweet. I mean, history teaches Jesus was real. Good for you. You believe in George Washington, too? He, he was real, right? He's not bringing you dinner tomorrow. He's not doing anything for you. But you believe he's real? I believe he's real. I, I do. No problem with that. I believe Jesus. Yeah, he's real. Sweet. I even believe in Christmas and Easter. Right on. I even believe in church, and I, I believe the Bible is true. Sweet. I hope you do. It's, it's, <laughs> it's amazing. But when Jesus says, for those who believe in me, will not perish but have everlasting life. It's not a generic look at and agree with kind of a belief. It's a belief that steps into the promises of God because you trust it. So you know what? I'll put my trust in that. I will step into that and I will live that out. It's a belief that moves forward in Jesus. It lets go of its sin. It disowns its stuff of the world and says, I'm moving towards Jesus. Take all of me, Lord. Not part, not a piece, not most, all. It is a faith that is wholeheartedly given to God. And the moment that happens, the Holy Spirit moves in. It says it bears witness that we have been adopted and born again into the family of God question for you before we end are you born again we all know our birthdays but can you look back and be like i don't remember the day or the hour or the week but there is a day i know i chose jesus i know it does it bear witness in your heart you know it you know it. hey look i need to get right with god and we'll talk about that some other time we'll talk about it right now get right with god okay say i'm sorry he says okay i've been waiting for that let's go that easy but if you can't look back and if your heart is like i don't know if i know the lord i don't know if i have life god says all you come to me who are weary and heavy laden and i will give you rest it goes on new testament says if you confess with your mouth jesus as lord he's got to be lord will you give him everything will you give him everything yeah i'll give him everything it's not going to be easy, I'll tell you right now, but it's going to be awesome. Being a Christian, a real Christian, is not easy, but it is awesome. You'll confess him as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You shall be saved. That's it. It's a matter of faith. Will you make him Lord? You believe he is who he said he was. Right? Today, if you don't know that, I'm going to ask you guys right now, if you're like, I need Jesus, I'm going to make him Lord of my life. I'm going to ask you right now, look, Jesus said, if I call you publicly and you, you declare and say, yep, I'm in, so that when you get to heaven in front of all the angels and witnesses and my father himself, I will say, no, he's with me. I paid his fine. But he said, I'm also going to call you publicly, and if you deny me, then when you get to heaven, I will deny you. It's crazy, huh? Today, if you don't know you have Jesus, if you do, you can't be born again and again and again and again. You maybe need to get things right with your father in heaven. Go do that. But if you do not have a spiritual birthday, you can look back and be like, I know I was born again, but you know you need Jesus. You're willing to confess him as Lord and put your faith and trust in him. I want to ask you right now to raise your hand. Yeah? Right on, man. Yeah? Hi. Oh, gee, I mean, it's Jesus, man. He died for you. You never give your life to the Lord? We can talk about restoration later, but if you've never given your life to the Lord and you want to do it today, right on. Man, I'm proud of you guys. Right on. Right on. You guys go ahead and put your hands down. Anybody in here that's like, I know I'm a child of God, but I've been messing around a little too much. Not taking him seriously. Oh, I didn't even ask you. Whoop, yep. But you want to get right with God. Yeah? If that's you guys, raise your hand. You're like, I'm born. I don't need to be born again, 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 again. But I need, oh, all right, a lot of us. Remember last week, the woman caught in adultery? What did Jesus say in the end? Go, you're free, you're given and sin no more, all right? In a minute, we're going to pray. Guys, 
you, you will be good with God as soon as you confess. He makes you clean and as white as snow. Restores that fellowship. Don't live under condemnation. But cut it out. Don't go back and do the same thing you did already. Right? If you guys are like, hey, yeah, I want to give my life to the Lord for the very first time. Who are you? I know. Come, come up here with me real quick. First timers. People that just haven't been nice to your, oh, right. Yeah, all the way. Let's do it. Sweet. Happy birthday. It is your birthday. Ah! <laughs> all right. Uh, come here, come here, come here. I'm going to pray for you guys. Squish in. All right. You good? All right. Dude, that's crazy. You're never going to hell. Like ever. You neither. None of you guys. I'm going to pray you guys just repeat after me, all right? You're talking to God, though, all right? Say, dear Lord, I give you my life, and I thank you for giving me yours. I know I've sinned, and I've fallen short. I will make you Lord of my life. I believe you died for my sins and rose again from the dead. Come into my life. Lead me in the way I should go. Help me to grow. In Jesus' name, amen. Right on, dude. Heck yeah. Dude, we're like brothers from other mothers of similar colors. What? Um, super cool. Okay, uh, those of you guys who are like, I, I need to give my life back to the Lord. I, need to, I, I gave it to him, but I need to make things right. When we break up into small groups, I want you to just to take a minute and go find a solo spot for like a minute, and you just need to confess to God, whatever it is, Lord, I've just been wayward, or maybe there's some specific things you need to give him, maybe, I don't know, but you take that minute, and you sit down with your father, and you pray, and you tell him, Lord, I'm sorry, I'm coming back to you, help me, please, and he will forgive you, like, he's waiting, he's like, Lord, will you, yes, I mean, okay, hold on, go ahead, okay, yes, like, he's, he's been waiting to restore that fellowship, right, Father, you're so good, you're amazing, that you would send your son, Lord, the conviction of the Holy Spirit, Lord, that you've opened the eyes of the blind today. Lord, you're amazing, God. Pray that you'd go into our, our few minutes together in groups. Lord, would it build us up? Would we be free, Lord, to sharpen each other spiritually? In Jesus' name.